What's going on, everyone? Welcome into the first episode of the Daft Picks podcast. Alongside me today, I have Parker, Wally, and Adam. Adam, you want to say hello first? Hey, everybody. What's up? Hello there. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, today, we got a pretty good show for you. It's obviously the first one, so we want to make it kind of special. Uh, first and foremost, we want to thank everyone for listening. And uh, you can find us on SoundCloud and a couple other platforms coming up. But we'll get right into it today, and we're going to start with the NHL playoff picture and uh, how things are shaking out. Uh, currently, as it stands, a lot of good teams are out of the playoffs, and a lot of bad teams, well, moderate teams, are currently in. So um, I guess the first question, how do you guys all feel about Buffalo? Yeah, Buffalo is definitely the big surprise team of this year. I mean, when Jeff Skinner got traded there, I really didn't think all too much of it because, I mean, sure, he had like he had a 37-goal season with the Canes two years seasons ago, but it's like, you know, I really, I really thought he was more of a one-hit wonder, but obviously he's never been on the same line with a center of someone of the same caliber as Jack Eichel. So obviously that dynamic, as well as the dynamic duo of the Rasmuses of Darlene and uh, Ristolainen, have made a really solid core that the Buffalo Sabres could build around. And not only that, but their goaltender, too, from, uh, oh, oh, his name Carter Hutton. Carter Hutton. Carter Hutton has been playing fantastic, and this surprises me because this guy's like 32, and he never really had a big share of starts until last season with the Blues. And the Blues right now, <laughs> their goaltending sucks. They're liquidating everybody. word, honestly. Yeah, I don't know if you remember, um, Carter Hutton was also one of the people on Nashville a couple seasons ago that spurred Pecorine when he got hurt, along with uh, AHL legend, Milwaukee legend, Merrick Mazanich, who is nowhere now. So yeah, Carter Hutton kind of came out of nowhere. On the, I'm looking to see a collapse right after the All-Star game. Everyone's going to be overworked and just going to need some rest afterwards. I don't think that's going to happen. They actually have a pretty... Deep forward core, if you think about it, because they have uh, Eichel. They <laughs> no, 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 but they the have uh, they, they, they have the guy who signed with them. He used to be with the Islanders. His name escapes me at the, at uh, the moment. Okposo. They have Okposo. They have Sean Reinhart. They have uh, Zemgus Gergensis. <laughs> but no, but honestly, they do have a pretty solid forward core, and they have a decent defensive core as well, and a solid goaltender. That makes for a good NHL team. Now, are they going to win a cup? Are they going to make a conference final? No. But they're still going to do pretty good. I think the biggest shock to me is how fast they went from bottom of the league to where they are now. But it makes sense because they have so much young talent on the team. When they had top 15 picks for so long, and then out of nowhere, they're one of the best teams in the NHL. I think that's the biggest surprise to me, and the fact that they're so young, I think that they'll be able to maintain it past that all-star break, but I I don't see them doing much in the playoffs because they're so inexperienced at that level. I mean, honestly, another thing that's kind of startling about Buffalo is the fact that if you take a look at some of their advanced stats, like their PDO, they've actually been um, what they call like in the advanced stat community kind of lucky, as Vegas was last year. And having a really high PDO in comparison to how you're playing really doesn't spell well for people in the long run. And you look at Buff- uh, Buffalo, and they're kind of, I don't want to say a one-line team, but you look at their top line versus all the other lines, I mean, it, it's just incomparable. Carter Hutton's never had a streak like this. I don't want to say they're going to fall off, but I definitely think it's going to be an uphill battle to get them where they got to go. Any other thoughts on Buffalo? Not for me. Nope. Not for me, but I do have some thoughts about another Atlantic team. Go for that's it. That's a bit of an opposite surprise. The Florida, the, uh, Florida Panthers. I thought they were going to be a lot better. I'm shocked with just how bad that they've been doing with the talent that they have. That's just been a complete shock to me. I mean, in the trial run for our first podcast, I did predict that the Florida Panthers would have 63 wins or like 130-some points. So much for that. So Failure. Yeah, that, that is probably one of the worst hot takes I've ever heard here. It was and over, I, I'm on a, I'm on a <laughs> sports talk show on uh, WCLH 9.7 FM, the, the Wilkes University. Nice plug. Uh, <laughs> yes, the Wilkes University radio station, and we have a sports show there called Sports Talk. And on there, we make a lot of really hot takes. One of which was the the uh, the one host there. He's a massive Devils fan. He was like, "Yeah, the Devils ben. are going to win the Metro." And I'm like, "You sir are out of your mind." I also said West Virginia was going to make the college football playoffs. So I mean, I was wrong there. That was so a complete like, utter failure. All the time. Rest in pepperoni. I think the biggest fall off for Florida is that they're 
their young talent that have that has been playing so well the past few seasons with like Huberto and uh, Ekblad, Trocheck. Yeah, and their goaltending's been abysmal. It's just. I don't, it's just a recipe for disaster right now and inconsistency, which is their biggest issue. I think that they could turn it around and possibly sneak into a wild card spot, but it's going to be a long haul if they even want to do that with how poorly they've started this year. I mean, when you take a look at Florida, the problem really does stand out, and it's not that goaltending has been poor per se. Roberto Luongo had a very good start to the season. He's also injured 90% of the season. James Reimer is not living up to that four-year deal. And I think at some point they signed uh, the old Winnipeg backup. And even he wasn't doing anything. Uh, I mean, they oh, just... Oh, need... Pavlik? No, not Pavlik. Um, the younger guy, Hutchison. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the son yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they thought that, that was going to kind of help. But I, I don't understand. You see where the lack and deficiency is coming from, and it's 100% in goaltending. Oh, yeah, it's in goaltending, and I'm looking at the stats right now. Roberto Luongo, this, so far this season, has a .904 save percentage. He hasn't had that low of a save percentage since his rookie season in 1999 for the New York Islanders. And the fact that he's putting up these numbers now when last season he had almost a .930, it's just there's so much fall off, and you can't just blame it on his age. It's the entire team because you can't just have a, a one-year gap and say it's an age fall off. It's everyone contributing right now to their horrid season. Shout out to the uh, shameless Roberto Luongo Islanders plug. Never forget. <laughs> I, I, another big problem with Florida is that you take a look at who's leading that um, like march off a cliff, and it's uh, former assistant coach <laughs> to the San Jose Sharks, Bobby Bogner. Bob Bogner <laughs> is not exactly who I would pick for my, uh, my candidate for the Jack Adams. I'll be honest with you. I might be in the minority there, but I'm just saying. This is the same team that fired Gerard Gallant. So, I mean, take that into consideration, too. Not just fired. Put him in a taxi cab and did not pay for it. And fired him into the sun. And they refused to sign Yager, even though he was still putting up points. And then they made their GM their head coach, which was a disaster. I mean, David Talon. That was... No. No, you just don't do that. The only only, GM you could, like... Make case for that is maybe like Steve Eiserman, yeah, or I mean, maybe Ken Holland. Like you want somebody ago. in touch with the players, so I'd agree with that. I think that kind of transitions a bit into uh, what I was going to bring up today, which is the biggest disappointments in the NHL. Thanks, Florida, for uh, giving us a nice smooth transition there. <laughs> but uh, I, I got to say, another one in the East is Carolina. Like a lot of people expected them to really compete. Wait, is that really a disappointment though? Because every offseason they're always saying, "Oh, this is the Canes' year. This is the Canes' year," and it just never happens. So, could we really say if it's a disappointment when the only reason why they're a disappointment is because every news outlet is hyping them up for no reason? Well, I mean, the thing is, the new, uh, I think his owner, principal owner, Tom Dundon, kind of came out and said just recently that he expects to be a winner every single year. And um, interesting tidbit about that. Yeah, but every team is supposed are. to be a winner, too. <laughs> right. Well, it, it, here's the problem with that. I don't believe it's his mentality because you see the changes he made. He got rid of Ron Francis, I believe, or moved him upstairs. And he just had a quote the other day. He does not want to draft a defenseman in the first round this year, which... What are you going to waste it? I mean, they have the scoring. They want a sniper. They traded one. His name is Jeff Skinner. So where are they going? I don't think they know what they're doing. Goaltending. I mean, Cam Ward. Peace up. Here, here's where another one of my hot takes came from on the sports talk show. And uh, that was uh, Pete Mrazek was going to be a very good goaltender. Yeah, I remember people saying that from the time he was drafted, <laughs> that he was going to be a very good goaltender. Well, he did have a really solid stint with the Red Wings for about half a season. And then it completely fell off. But yeah. then again, I mean, that's also the Red Wings, though. I mean, the Red Wings really... You're going to... Everything goes to Detroit. Larkin, and then their second best player is like, what, Nyquist? Like, are you kidding me? That's kind of That's, that's another sad gross. sack over there, too. Huh? I said it's another sad sack over there, too. Yeah. You still have Nyquist. Do you remember that one season he was good? That was pretty Ooh, fun. Ooh, Thomas Tatar. <laughs> one he's year. That one yeah. good season now he's in Detroit. Montreal. Now he's <laughs> playing fantastic in Montreal. Like, all you okay. need is a different... All you need is That's a change of face. That's another surprise, too, is Montreal. And they're playing good with Carey Price playing bad. Uh, here's the thing. That's every year. The problem with Montreal isn't that they're going to be bad, per se. Carey Price's eight-year deal just kicked in this past July. He turns 32 this year. 
He'll have seven years left. He'll be 39 by the time that deal's done. How many times in that tenure do you think they're actually going to make a serious playoff push? I'd probably Zero. Well, you got to remember, they signed this deal like the year after he won the Vesna on like every trophy on the planet. So he was really at the top of the world. Well, the top of the hockey world. So that's really, really why he got a contract like that. Because all the seasons beforehand, too, it's like he would... He was just very consistent. He was always upwards of 920. He was always like upwards of 35 wins. So they kind of figured that, you know, hey, it's con- he's consistent. We're going to reward him with this contract. And then immediately after, he gets injured. And then he has been playing the same. They got injured again. So now it's like it's kind of like, you know, sometimes that's just how it happens. That's how it happens. I think that the biggest thing with, for Montreal right now is that they are finally seeing in their front office what they need to do to create a better team. And they were trying to do it around Carey Price for the longest time, and it wasn't working. And now that Carey Price is starting to fall out of his prime a little bit, it's really starting to show in the team. And I think that they took a giant step forward getting Max Domi because he's playing phenomenally for what everyone thought that he was going to do from what he was doing in Arizona to what he's doing now in Montreal, leading them in points currently at the season. Um, But they need to find something to get people in to that team to win now. And that's what they need because no Canadian team is, has been making any serious pushes for the playoffs except Toronto as of the past like two seasons. And no one else is really doing anything. I mean, the thing with Montreal, too, is that their GM, they, they, everyone will always gives him flack, but he's recently made three pretty good transactions that have been working for him. The first of which was uh, obviously uh, Domi, which everyone lambasted immediately when that trade happened. I think so. Right, so. so right now, in the short term, it's looking good. But long term, I'm not sure Domi will be able to keep those numbers up. But anyways, two other ones were trading Sergachev for Jonathan Drouin. So far, that has been working out pretty well for them. And the other one it was uh, getting Tatar off the smart deal. Golden Knights, and he's been playing really good too. Remember, this guy was a like what a second pick, second round pick, like third yeah. round pick. He was like he, I mean, he has the talent. He just never really had the line mates around him. I think personally too, going along with Montreal, you think about another team that was supposed to really compete this year, and that LA, like they went out and signed Kovalchuk, and they have been the worst. Jonathan Quick cannot stay healthy, and when he's healthy, he's Neither average. can Kovalchuk. He's been on the IR for That's forever. True. He's got like a high ankle sprain or something. That team, to me, is a team that regrets what they did. I mean, I, I don't want to say he's a trade deadline candidate to be moved, but what else do you do? If you're where are you going to move him? Like, where do you want him to go? I mean, He comes back into the league and then automatically gets hurt. Well, keep in mind that he's going to want to go somewhere to win a Stanley Cup. He's at, he came back in the NHL because he wanted to compete at the top level and win a Stanley Cup. That's so right. he's probably going to be a trade deadline move to a team that is in the top two of their conference or in their division. So like Toronto, Boston, Washington. Anywhere, anywhere. We can see what happens in February when the trade deadline comes up. But to looking at... The Kings' numbers, they are so uncharacteristic. They are in the bottom third of the league in every category except one. They're sixth in penalty minutes. They're in the top ten in penalty minutes. No, that is by far one. <laughs> they are the worst in goals for. They are the second worst in assists and, and shooting percentage. And they're in the bottom five in power play and penalty kill percentages. Like, like on a team that was so dominant for so long, competing for Chicago during Chicago's dynasty with Quinville, and then winning a, a, and then ago, winning a Stanley now. Cup during that time. And as now well. they're just falling off to this with the same team. It's amazing. Amazing what age does. You got to remember those were uh, those were like what four or five years ago. All these players like uh, Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Jake Muzzin, Drew Doughty, and uh, Quick, uh, Jonathan Quick. That's, that They're like all clear, yeah. all these guys are upwards of thirty years old. I, I mean, that's the big problem. All of them, the entire core is above the age of thirty. Every single one of them, and the Chicago Blackhawks have the same issue. It's it's funny that you both transition the Blackhawks because the Blackhawks this year, the only fight that they've shown is when Tommy Hawk RKO'd a fan the other day. That's the first time <laughs> they showed fight all year. Like honestly. I, I Bowman, he's got a great resume, and I don't doubt in his abilities as a GM. But man, like when you fire Joel Quenville and replace him with, I think the guy was like the highest scorer for his like college team. 
Listen, I'm not dissing the new coach, but I'm saying I'm not a big believer in what they're doing in Chicago. I think that they're good at drafting talent, and now it's trying to keep it. Yeah, he's always traded. Like, like Marco Dono, remember he got traded to the Jets, and then he traded... Uh, uh, Don't forget Saad, too. Saad, and then he traded for him back. Panarin. With, with <laughs> another one of his draft picks, and then it's like, okay, oh wait, no, wait, Panarin was Panarin is not mind. a rookie. <laughs> I think that the biggest thing for Chicago is they finally hit the official end of their dynasty run in the Central for the Western Conference, and it's really starting to show now Should because they, they are holding on to what was left of that dynasty with Patrick Kane, Jonathan Tays and Seabrook and everyone else, and Duncan Keith. It, it was just, it's falling it's like, apart now because they're getting up there and they can't stay to the level of everyone else. And they need to start making moves around, and it's finally coming to that decision point for them. Well, yeah, they the could start tanking as well, younger and faster. as they said before. The Blackhawks and Kings were both two teams that were built around physicality and physicality. I couldn't think of the other yeah, word. I mean, but it's just like physicality yeah. and taking control of the ice. How, how are you going to be physical when you have a guy like Kyrie McDavid or uh, Dylan Larkin just speeding past you, scoring a goal because your defenseman can't move? Can't hit what you can't catch. I, I, mean, I mean, the Bruins, like, a couple seasons ago, they were just all <laughs> big bruisers, but now, I mean, they're fast now, too. Yeah, I, I think teams like uh, like Chicago and L.A., even to a certain extent Pittsburgh this year, when you are built so well and teams try to replicate you, but then you don't catch up with the NHL, you get left behind. And to more to the extent of uh, Chicago, I really do feel for them. I think it is the end of their run. And talk about the end of a run. It might be the end for Corey Crawford. He just had his second concussion in five months. Last time they were saying it could have been career-ending. You don't want to think like that, but he had vertigo pretty bad last time. And I can't imagine another concussion on top of that is going to make it any better. I really feel for Corey Crawford from Chicago. Sometimes you just have to go out to pasture. Your time will come. Uh, he's great. Speaking of concussions, Matt Murray. Yeah, that too. Had what a second concussion, a third concussion? concussion. Like how many no. is he at now? This is a uh, three in two years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he already has great. more than uh, Flurry. Than Flurry had. Everyone always knocked on Flurry for getting concussions. I mean, not to mention he plays a more butterfly style. He's had two severe groin tears. Matt Murray, for being a young man, is probably playing in a bit of an older man's body. I mean. I don't think right now it's going to affect him, but I, I tell you, that takes a big toll on career longevity. And then you oh, have yeah. right behind him in the, in the depth chart, you have DeSmith. Segwaying into another team, like with that groin injury, is with Colorado with Semyon Varlamov. He, he puts up so many good numbers when he's healthy. And up until this point of the season, he was playing very, very well. And those groin injuries, he's out for three to four weeks every single season because he re-agitates a groin injury just because of how physically involved he gets in the play and it's something that's just going to kill him in a few years in terms of playing it's just he can't maintain it because he's going to get injured for longer and more frequently moving into the revolving door of goaltending let's move to a different team the flyers currently using their sixth goaltender the the philadelphia flyers i saw the stat today are the first team since 2002-2003 the blues to use six goaltenders before christmas is it not just six Oh my God! With Carter Hart making his start tonight, it'll be their sixth goalie of the year. And that team itself is also on the down is on the downhead trend too. If you take a look at most of the players that they have on their current roster, the plus minus for each player is in the negatives. I so. mean, but when you have Claude Giroux, Jakub Voracek, JVR, etc., are you really on the downturn? I, I mean, mean, I mean, not only that, you got to remember like uh, Provorov and uh, Provorov. Pro- Provrov and uh, oh, who, who's the other Gossespeer. one? Like, G- Gossespeer and even uh, San Sanheim. Sanheim. Yeah. Like these are all these were all like really, really high touted prospects from their uh, development pipeline, yeah. and they still have a lot of good ones down there too. So I mean, they do have the young talent. Don't forget but it's Nolan just, Patrick. Yeah. Oh yeah, and he, he has yet to break out too. I, I gotta say, hitting on Philadelphia. The one major conniption I had with um, Ron Hextall and, and Dave Hextall was that, <laughs> yeah, right? um, was that I think, honestly, Hextall hindered Nolan Patrick's development. I mean, I, I don't want to sound too generic here. You're talking about a college coach, which is a lot different than junior, and a player like Nolan Patrick, who many said was not ready to be the first overall pick because he was still learning. Like, he had more to learn than junior. I think they deployed him poorly, and I think it showed in his numbers. He's got a, a, another gear that he can hit. I, I think under a better coach, say Joel Quenville, I think he'll be fine. Yeah, I was actually just reading about that this morning, and apparently the talks 
for Joel Quenville fell through as of right now. Yeah, I was uh, I saw that as well. Apparently on um, the other podcast, Fit and Chicklets, they're talking. Uh, somebody in the know knows one of Quenville's sons, and he apparently said that his father had not actually gotten an offer from the Flyers, not even talked to them. So who knows? I mean. What it comes down to is these are the NHL this year is full of surprises and some disappointments. I mean, ultimately, the teams that uh, are failing can look forward to the draft. Um, for those of you who don't know, the first overall pick projection is brother of Quinn Hughes, Jack Hughes, um, two of the best guys to come to the U.S. Men's Development National Team, and Jack Hughes is a franchise-altering talent. And the best part is, well, the potential first overall pick, which the Senators would have had, is now owned by the Colorado Avalanche. What do you guys think about that? I love oh. it. Well, that's me being an Avalanche <laughs> player scary. saying it. I am so excited. I really hope Ottawa continues to fall because that will just make it better for Colorado because Colorado's on the upswing, and if they can get a top-five pick out of that Matt Duchesne trade, Joe Sackick officially became the best GM in my mind for the history of ever because <laughs> getting knew. all of that in their trade... <laughs> In that three-way deal between Nashville and Ottawa, just for Matt Duchesne, Colorado got a first-round pick that's going to develop into possibly a top-five pick, a top-three if they're really lucky. They got Sam Girard, and they got We don't Alex- talk about the other guy. <laughs> Alex Hammond. <laughs> Andrew Hammond. And the- a- Andrew Hammond, and, my bad. And AHL non-star Victor Kamenev. Eh, whatever. <laughs> but, hey, he scored his first NHL goal and then scored in the next game, but... I can see him developing into a into a top nine forward. That's about it. Two but, years from now. But the fact that they got so much out of that trade, and they got two second round picks as well. I believe it was either one or two. I know that one of them was conditional, but I don't know if the condition was met at the end of the season. But they got so many picks out of that, and so much just for Matthew Shane. I love it, and I was a big Matthew Shane fan when he was at Colorado. I still am, but. I was glad to see him go when I saw what we were getting in return. I'm going to do a favor to our listeners here, and I'll save them from any more of uh, Adam here rambling with the Colorado Avalanche. We're going <laughs> to try to delve in without a transition to uh, college football. We're going to go briefly to um, – I, I, listen, I'm not the biggest college football fan, so I'll let these guys kind of take <laughs> over. But I guess we'll go to like, uh, playoff predictions, if you will. Now, first thing you have to know about me, I'm a huge Alabama Crimson Tide fan. Say what you will, but – you just can't knock this Alabama team. They, I believe, are going to walk away with this college football playoff. They're going to, I believe, struggle in the first half against Oklahoma, and then they're going to come back. Kyle Mur- uh, Kyler Murray is going to be on the ground at least five times in the game by sacks. And you're going to see in the final round, for some reason, I'm so suspicious that Notre Dame is going to beat Clemson. I don't know what gives me that feeling. On paper, Clemson is such a better team, but I, I think Notre Dame's going to win for some reason. <laughs> Sir, Notre Dame almost lost to Ball State. I you hold your, ho- hold your horses there, Parker. anything. I know, but I have the biggest suspicion that that team is going to show up and play their faces off in that game. I don't know what it is, but Notre Dame, I have a prediction that they are going to play super well. Like, uncharacteristically well for a Notre Dame team this year. Because, yes, they're undefeated, but they limped through some of those games. Are we still talking about the same Notre Dame team that just a few years ago thought Deshaun Kaiser was an actual quarterback? They we were talking like about talk that about team, that. in fact. <laughs> so, a little thing you want to know about me is I'm a huge Irish fan. So, as, a, as, I, as I want to stare over here at the Alabama guy, I, I believe that Notre Dame it, it, it will be able to give Clemson a run for their money, but not completely. Ian Book has struggled through some of the games this year. But if the Irish do end up coming out on top, I do see an Alabama um, fighting Irish national championship game. But I do want to say that the Irish defense will not be able to hold off the Alabama offense whatsoever. That's the biggest thing for me this year is what Tua Tagovailoa has been able to do for the Alabama offense in such a short time. Because even Jalen Hurts started to segue it when he was a true freshman. Alabama's offense for the longest time, has been characterized by power running, and that's it. You look back at their running backs, just in the time of Saban's dynasty, if you will, because how can you deny the five national championships in nine years, and potentially six and ten if they win this year? Correct. Um, You have Mark Ingram, Trent Richardson, who was phenomenal in college but couldn't do anything in the NFL for some reason. Thanks, Browns. Um, (laughs) And you have Kenyon Drake, Derrick Henry, Bo Scarborough. It's like power running through everything was their game plan 
and they would occasionally win the game with the arm, thanks to A.J. McCarron, McElroy, and players like Jake Coker. Blake Sims even had a fantastic year when he was playing a quarterback, but they couldn't pull it together for a national championship. But now they're developing into such a pass-heavy offense because they have these weapons now with Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts. And it's so amazing seeing it. They're developing around the game as opposed to sticking to their tradition. If you take a look back six years ago, that national championship game between the Irish and the Al- and the Crimson Tide, Alabama has stayed constant throughout the past six years, keep updating their roster, been able to dominate the entire um, uh, FBS. But Notre Dame automatically dropped off after that game. The Irish have continued to try and rebuild a good uh, a good team in itself up until this year. But I do, I again, I'm an Irish fan, but I don't foresee anything good coming out from this college team after this year. We're going to have to go through another rebuilding stage because many guys are graduating. That's that's the biggest thing that schools like Oklahoma and Clemson and Alabama have over over Notre Dame is because they are so good at recruiting for college football that Alabama, like especially at running back, and I forgot to mention the two running backs that led that win against Notre Dame was yeah. – TJ Yeldon and Eddie Lacy. Mm-hmm. And you always have guys replacing everyone. Like every single year, I'm looking at the seniors who graduate. Like when Deron Payne left to go to the NFL, I'm like, okay, how are we going to replace him? And now we have Raquan Davis. And before Deron Payne came in, I'm like, who's going to replace Jonathan Allen? The like, reason- who's going to replace Derrick Henry? Who's going to replace Kenyon Drake? Who's going to replace AJ McCarron? It's like, What's going on here? Who's going to replace Amari Cooper? Who's going to replace Julio Jones? And now we have a five-star wide receiver class, five deep. And it's amazing. The reason you guys are so good at recruiting is because you're actually in a conference. So the Irish, if they end up losing this year, I believe they should try and join a conference like the rest of their, like the rest of their athletics. The rest of their athletics have joined the ACC. The, the Irish football team is currently not in a conference. They're um, written down as an independent team. They need to join something. I, I believe that, and I agree with that, but they never will. They get way too much money on TV deals and way too much money All on because of NBC. staying in, independent. Yeah. But going off of the other two college football teams that are in the playoff, not just sticking with our two favorite teams yeah. as much as I would love to. Clemson and the uh, ACC. And- I have such a high respect yeah. for Dabo Sweeney with what he's been able to do the past four or five years with that Clemson squad. Like I never had heard of Clemson until, <laughs> honestly, until the um, – year that they went up against Alabama in that first round of the the three-part series, potentially four if they can get to the conf- the national championship again. Yeah. And I believe that Dabo Sweeney has a fantastic program there with fantastic students, and he does a phenomenal job recruiting. And I think that as long as he can keep that recruiting up, he's going to be at that top level of coaching with his team for at least the next five, ten years. And with the head coach, recent head coaching change, the name slips my mind of who's there at Oklahoma, but what he's been able to do the past few seasons with... Lincoln Riley. Thank you. With What he's been able to do the past few seasons with Baker Mayfield coming in and Kyler Murray, the fact that Kyler, Kyler Murray was able to be the first ever quarterback to come in after a Heisman winner and win the Heisman himself is just storybook writing of, of its own. And I think that Oklahoma is going to play a fantastic game against Alabama, but I think that their defense is going to be their strongest issue because their, their defense is not what wins them games. Look at what they did against West Virginia. <laughs> Look at what they did against Texas in the first game. Look at, they almost lost to Army. Like, how do you almost lose to Army? And then, they, and then they the, got the put, triple option could be deadly sometimes. Oh, I it agree. Almost, Look at what Alabama did Citadel against the Citadel. At, the Citadel played it close to Bama with the triple option. You never For know. one half. This could have been completely different if Georgia did not lose to Alabama. It could have been Alabama, Georgia, Clemson, and the Irish. This so, is what happens when you run a fake punt with your backup quarterback <laughs> in your own territory on fourth and nine. Fourth and 11. Fourth and, it, and Close enough. And then you get turned <laughs> into the enough. meme for the rest of your life. I I know that I am preaching to the Alabama choir here, and I'm not in much company. <laughs> but Jalen Hurts being able to do what he did after Tua went down is just amazing. I just love the story because I got in so many arguments because I believe that Jalen Hurts was still going to be the starting quarterback for Alabama at this 
beginning of this season, and it was Tua anyway, and I was very happy because Tua put up storybook numbers, record-breaking numbers for Alabama in one season. Him and Jalen Hurts right now are tied for second in school history for touchdowns responsible for, and both of them are only in their second season, while well, Jalen Hurts in his third. And Jalen Hurts is probably going to transfer at the end of this year. He'd be stupid to stay if he wants to go in the NFL because who wants to draft a backup quarterback? But the fact that he went against the team that everything crumbled down for him, when that, you look at the national championship from last year against Georgia where he was doing nothing, three for eight passing, 21 yards of offense, throwing the ball, and then Tua goes in the game, wins it, steals his starting job and his potential future at an NFL career and millions of dollars, and he decides to not transfer, and he stays, and then goes against the same team after Tua gets hurt and brings the team back. Granted, I believe that Tua was going to bring that team back if he didn't get injured anyway, but the fact that Jalen developed himself at that backup spot anyway as a passer, because if you look at that game-tying pass, passing touchdown in the end zone he never would have thrown that ball as a freshman he never would have thrown that ball as a sophomore he developed himself and he progressed as a passer enough that he felt confident in his arm for the first time in the three years he was at Alabama and he won it in Jalen Hurts style scrambling the ball up the middle uh, if I may before we get uh, off of this topic of college football being the lone uh, Texas A&M fan here uh, what up uh, I just kind of want to go around the table and, and get the predictions for who you guys think are going to win. So we'll start with you, Parker. We'll go kind of clockwise. Who do you think is going to take the playoffs? Um, I have the playoff being Alabama and Clemson. Really, I don't think you can make an argument for any of their teams. I mean, sure, Oklahoma has the best offense in college football. That's, that's obvious. But it's like that defense is ranked like 200-something. That, that's pretty bad when every other defense is at least double digits. And with the Clemson, like, Clemson and Alabama are the only teams that are just consistently blowing out their opponents. I mean, sure, Alabama's offense is scary, but Trevor Lawrence with Clemson has been blowing out a lot of the teams that they've been playing, too. So, really, I have the, the uh, final going to Bama and Clemson and then Bama winning. I'm going with Alabama and the Irish, just just as was predicted before. And then I'm still going to be going, going to be saying Alabama over Notre Dame. I think it's going to uh, another rendition of uh, 2012 when the Irish storybook team that played that was number one throughout the course of that season ended up falling off to Alabama by a large margin. I think it was. 42 to 7? 42 to 14. Yeah, I, I don't want to remember it much because... Uh, oh, uh, trust me, I do. I, 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 I'll, I'll remember for you. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I cried enough that night. But yeah, I, I still, I'm going to be predicting Alabama over the, over the uh, Fighting Irish this upcoming season. So you're this saying Ian Book's not going to have a story. Ian, Ian, Book, Ian Book will have oh. a story. Ian Book actually, will, I believe, will have a storybook game against Clemson. But yet, I'm not, I don't believe he will be able to do well against an Alabama defense. I'm predicting three picks. Three picks by the Bama defense if the Irish are able to make it to that championship game. Um, I believe that going into the national championship, as much as I have a suspicious feeling that Notre Dame is going to beat Clemson, I, I just, I'm going to pick Clemson for the sheer statistics of how good their defense is. I think they're going to be able to contain Notre Dame, and I think it's going to be Alabama versus Clemson part four. And I think that Alabama is just going to outpower Clemson. It's going to be typical Alabama football in an in a big game setting. It's going to be close at halftime, and Nick Saban is going to do what Nick Saban does best, halftime adjustments, and it's going to be a cakewalk in the second half. I mean, being that I probably know the least here, I don't like to bet against Nick Saban, but I'm going to be the underdog here. Of course. Uh, uh, <laughs> if I may, I will present a very good case, but I'm going to say Michigan. So, What? Dude, that They're not you anywhere near this. What? I'm a believer. <laughs> They're not in the playoffs. My serious pick uh, is, of course, Alabama, because when you bet against Nick Saban, you will lose. You are Harbaugh at this. Um, kind of Unless going, you're my dad. Uh, transitioning <laughs> off of um, that uh, Adam Ranch. Sunday, Sunday, sorry, Sunday. Not sorry. Uh, I kind of want to transition into the NFL. So, uh, if I may, I want to ask the big question. Is Pat Mahomes for real? No. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. No. Andy yes. Reid has never had a quarterback that has had the raw talent that Pat Mahomes has. Pat Mahomes is more or less playing like he's in a Big 12 offense all over again. 
and the receivers that he has, quite frankly, aren't really that good. Tyreek Hill is a all he does is just the speed runs threat. a go oh. route. Like, okay, just run fifty yards down the field. I can throw the ball far enough for you to catch it. That's literally all he does. And then Some Madden stuff. And then there's uh <laughs> Oh God, I forget his name. The receiver uh, that they that they cut that no the uh, the one that's injured right now, but he used to be with Buffalo. And then, and then and then yes, Sammy, Sammy Watkins. Watkins. He's not too good, uh, quite honestly. He's just a possession guy, really. Yeah, honestly. and then and then it's like after that, it's just like I don't, I don't even know the other receivers. I mean, I think they just got rid of. Uh, I mean, I don't know if you can't running backs as receivers, but they have a decent running back tandem uh, up until his whole. Uh, We'll call it a media scandal um, with what he did. It was a scandal. That he got cut for, rightfully so. Uh, Kareem Hunt was pretty deadly in that offense, but obviously losing that weapon. I think Pat Mahomes still looks great. I think this guy is just having some fun out there. Uh, NFL defenses obviously don't know how to how to manage him yet, clearly. And honestly, with that team, I mean, it, it, like, like Parker said, it's a sub, I will say, subpar receiving core. Pat Mahomes is just that extraordinary where he just has that innate ability to find his receivers game after game. This guy could just sidearm at 50 yards. Like, you just don't see that with any other quarterback in the league. And it's just, it's really exciting to see. I I think he's deceptively quick. Uh, the big thing with Cam Newton a while back, what the hit on him was that, yes, he was like a good runner, but his arm's always been kind of inadequate. I wouldn't go as far as him as Pat Mahomes is like necessarily a mobile quarterback because he doesn't run it a lot. But... He can if he needs to. I think he's got the complete package. I know I'm not more of the NFL fan here. I'm more stick to college football. But uh, before Pat Mahomes was at the Chiefs, was it Alex Smith who was the quarterback? Yeah, correct. Who's so he was now dead. Yeah, pretty much. But Alex Smith was a borderline consistent quarterback for the Chiefs. Captain Checkdown. Yes. Um, I think the biggest thing that Pat Mahomes brings to that offense is that he's not afraid to mess up. Like you throw, you see the tape, and he's just playing football. He's having fun with how he's playing, and, and it shows in how he's throwing the ball to his receivers and how he's just running, being so smart with his plays. He's just doing anything. He doesn't care if he messes up because he's just putting his faith in his team and teammates and to his own ability. And that's, I think, the biggest thing that the Chiefs have going for Pat Mahomes right now is his lack of insecurity of himself as a quarterback because he's just playing. If you saw stuff with Alex Smith, he was more or less uh, a conservative quarterback, pocket passer. System guy. Yeah, stick to the system, don't risk it. And Pat Mahomes is like, you, you want to see me sidearm a ball 50 yards away? Okay, I don't care. All right, touchdown, cool. And that's what you get with Pat Mahomes. And I never expected him, from what I saw him in college, being able to step up to the NFL stage right away. But I am impressed, and I believe that as long as he can stay healthy, knock on wood, because that's the killer for quarterbacks. If he can stay healthy, I believe he is definitely the real deal. Yeah, I remember when Derek Carr, when he had that MVP-like season 2015, and then he just destroyed his back. He has been playing the same. And it's just really sad to be able to see that happen to quarterbacks, and it's really something I don't hope happens to him, I honestly. mean, not to mention his entire team was taken away from him because John Gruden has no idea how to run an NFL offense. So, any thoughts on Pat Mahomes over there, Wally? Absolutely not. Uh, I will say one more thing about Pat Mahomes. How can you not believe in a guy who is, like, clearly the best at Fortnite? I mean, honestly. Oh, my God. Why? Stop it. Stop. Um, <laughs> all right, all right. The studio is closed. Thank you so much for tuning in. <laughs> uh, goodbye. Uh, sp- speaking of games, let's get right into the biggest game of the offseason for the MLB, which is the Manny Machado and Bryce Harper situation that is going on. Uh, for those of you who are not in the know, I know there's a few in this room who are not in the know, not naming names. Uh, Manny and Bryce have both been strongly linked to uh, about five teams. Some say like six or seven. The big five is uh, usually named as the White Sox, the Yankees, the Phillies, the Cubs, and the Dodgers. There's plenty of teams that are in the mix. I know Parker's over there dreaming they can both go to the Rays. Good try. But, (laughs) I mean, ultimately what it comes down to is these teams have the deepest pockets and the most pressing needs. Um, I I, I don't want to veer too far off course, so I'll just say boldest prediction for where you think they're going to sign. Oh, you want to be bold. Oh, boy. (laughs) Rocky see, <laughs> see, boldest prediction out of the teams that are shown interest. Oh, God. Serious interest. If they can pull the money through, it will be completely uncharacteristic. I think both of them could potentially go to the Phillies. But at the same time, Philly 
has been notorious for signing contracts too big of money for people at the downhill of their career. Look at Andrew McCutcheon. Got $50 million for three years, and he hasn't put up fantastic numbers for how long now? Like, he's consistent. Yeah, about three don't, seasons. Don't get me wrong. He's a consistent outfielder. He was good with the Pirates there for <laughs> a little bit. Stop it. The Phillies need either one of these players. They could... They would get along great with both of them. If they can scrounge up the money, I could see them stealing Bryce Harper. But I don't see it happening because I don't think their pockets are deep enough. You know, here's the thing about both Manny Machado and Bryce Harper. They both like money. And they both like baseball. You know who could offer them that? Brian Cashman. As he said in his interview, we're a fully operational Death Star, and I can hear the Sith music playing from here. Um, I will personally go on a limb and say I, I expect the Yankees to get one, if not both. Now, where do they stick them? That's a problem for future Yankees. Right now, you are the New York Yankees. You have got to be in on at least one of them. Apparently, Manny Machado would love to come to New York. And we do need a shortstop in the interim as well as a long-term third baseman. But, I mean... I've never heard of uh, getting two good players and Bryce Harper, a generational talent. There's a reason this agent sent out a 160-page document to all the interested teams at the winter meetings. These guys are not messing around. These are two generational talents, franchise alterers. And if you get either one of them on your team, you have a chance to win the World Series next year. See, I don't think that there's a space for either one of those players on the New York Yankees team, at least right now. There's too much big name, too much big money in New York for either one of those players to make a fit in because, they, as you said, generational talent. I don't think that they will fit into that system because of how big name they are. I don't think that you could see them both getting along. Like imagine if we saw in, like, let's say, let's say hockey. Uh, let's see a team with both Mario Lemieux and Wayne Gretzky on it that isn't an all-star team. Like, honestly, you That'd don't see a, it happening. A bad thing Both for generational room. talents, but they don't fit in the same system right, together because they, they play the same role. But there was a Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager. That's a different team. situation, and, and Wayne Grutsky. That, that's a di- little bit of a, a situ- different situation because, like, with Yager, he was drafted by the Penguins. He started his career as a Penguin, and that's where he got his start at. And with what you said with Gretzky, it was just they wanted to win a cup. And they both fit within the system in different ways. Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, as much as baseball is not necessarily, like when it comes to defense, it's absolutely a team game. But when it comes into offense, they are, it, it's far from that. It's very much a soloistic, hey, let's listen to the coach if he wants us to bunt, but get on base for the other guy to score, basically. And it's, I might sound very unknowledgeable saying that, but that's my viewpoint. Uh, but... They don't fit in the system together, I don't think. If I may, I, I definitely see where you're coming from with the not being able to sign both. I, I don't think. I mean, that's a the Yankees dream. can't sign both. What do you want them to do? Throw three, throw three people off the roster spots? See, it, it, it's a funny thing here. Space is a funny thing. I'm sorry, but wait. What are you going to do? You just re-signed Brett Gardner for another year. You could have let him go and then signed Bryce Harper. Jacoby Ellsbury is permanently injured. Clint Frazier might be permanently injured. We don't know the statistics. We just lost McCutcheon. Greg Bird. There's play- Yeah, guess what? He's not an outfielder. And it doesn't mean anything. You can move him out of first base. Yeah, well, guess what? We don't need to worry about Greg Bird. Here's the funny thing about New York. And you also put and you also put Dan and Duhar on the trade block for some reason. Well, do you know uh, where the where the the biggest mint in the country is? It's in Philadelphia. Do you know where the second biggest mint is? The New York Yankees. <laughs> they can print their own money if they want to. I don't care where you're going to put them. Figure it out later. I don't care if you DH Bryce Harper and you move John Carlos Stanton to the left field. You're just going to ruin his career by leaving him there. Play musical chairs. I don't care. Give me both of them. How about no? How about one or the other? Parker, you're looking a little lonely over there. How are the Rays doing, bud? <laughs> Hi, my name's Wilson Ramos. I just signed I, with the Philadelphia Phillies. What's your thought process I, there? I, I don't even know. There's one thing I say about the Rays is that they, they did a thing last year where they would play their relief pitchers in early innings and for a lot of innings, and then they would play like their starters like near the end as like closers. The and opener. it actually and it actually worked out pretty well. But then you figure so, why you're at the bottom of the standings in so, the East. I think uh, if there weren't two 100 win seasons in the East, the Rays would have made the playoffs. 
I'm sorry, but that's where the Boston Red Sox stand in front of you guys. You do by far. You, you do realize I just said two 100 win teams. Correct. Yeah. Well, if, oh. if it's the butts were candy and nuts, then the Red Sox and Yankees wouldn't exist. Like too bad they do, <laughs> and the Rays are at the bottom. I'm sorry that the opener Whoa! center didn't pay off. The only the Rays are not at the bottom. The, are you kidding? The only me? team, the only team that's below you, which Baltimore's is Baltimore's at the correct, bottom. Correct. Correct. Just as I was going to say, the only team that deserves to be below you, which they fired their they fired their manager just just last season. Sorry, Mr. Buckstall, Walter, but. Yet they're the people that are underneath your feet that are currently trying to claw at to get above you guys, so you guys can stay in the basement consistently like you were before. Uh, Toronto was also lower than, than the Rays. Well, yeah, Toronto just just helping Toronto, you out. Toronto, that's that's, yeah, that's this year, but too, so, yeah, I mean, they, they trade they trade their whole team for uh, for Price. They also how that how that worked out, and they also just released Troy Tulowitzki. We finally Ooh. we finally realized who won the trade between the Rockies and. And the Blue Jays for Troy Tulowitzki and Trevor Story, and I think we can finally <laughs> say. <laughs> <laughs> well, this just finally put the final nail in the casket for it. Um, if I may, the only thing worse than the uh, Tampa Bay Rays record is their stadium. Uh, shout out to the Trop. The Rays aren't even bad. Tropicana Are Field. Kidding me? Tropicana Field needs to be completely redid. Oh, I agree. Tropicana <laughs> Field is absolute <laughs> garbage. They should do. They should try and do exactly what the Athletics are doing and try and file for a grant for the, uh, to b- rebuild the new stadium. They should try and do that, or exactly what the Marlins did as well. Think about it. I don't know. I I, I just don't think. I, I don't even think they want to spend money on a new stadium. Then they should just leave the league. Okay, well, that's you are weird. you are getting no money whatsoever when you consistently lose, and you want your fan base to try and keep going to your games. We did consistently You'd, lose. You last would be year, surprised. <laughs> you would be surprised how much teams are getting money just to lose. Are you talking about the? Are, are we going to switch back in the football and talk the about Marlins. the? Uh, talk about the Oakland Raiders. That too. Like, look at every sport. Teams <laughs> are out of city. City. Doesn't even want them anymore. I don't understand how <laughs> they teams don't have a stadium next. Who year. are notoriously bad can stay in the leagues that they're in. Like, you look, Rutgers. Yeah, honestly, that too. Um, I was gonna say. I was gonna say that. I was gonna say Arizona, where like, oh Arizona, okay. Talking NHL, (laughs) Arizona's been completely irrelevant forever, and. They're still a team. I don't right. get it. They oh, don't even have an official Doan. stadium, do poor they? Shane Doan. No, but they no, but they have a ba- they have a basketball team that's not too bad though. That, that's about this it. Is, this is yeah. what happens when you have a hockey team in the middle of a desert. And what happens when you have a team in the middle of a desert? <laughs> no, no, no. What we're gonna what I want to continue on is with the teams losing. Um, I want to bring up the fact of the LA Chargers. The LA Chargers are eleven and three. The LA Chargers are right behind the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC South. Um, P- <laughs> the, when you the AFC South, no, 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 no. But because you're the AFC West. listen, <laughs> listen, listen. The Chargers Seriously, were a team that was bad. The Chargers are a team that's still bad. This is one currently. This is one winning season right now. But nobody shows their games. If you take a look at that stadium, you see nothing. There's it's this, that stadium is either filled with away team fans or no one at all, because everybody wants to go see Rams. Everyone wants to go see the L.A. Rams play. Well, that's what you get for having two teams in L.A. I think it's the stupidest thing. Yeah, L.A. is a fantastic, And you play in a soccer city. stadium that's built for the Galaxy. Oh, well, yeah, but you're, you're in one of the largest cities in the United States. <gasps> I get that. I don't think that there should be two teams in one city whatsoever in any sport, let alone in the same state. So are you going to say the New York Giants should get out of, get out of Dodge? Yes. Or the, okay, but why not the Jets? Yes. Well, the, <laughs> well, they play in the Meadowlands the jet, anyway. The they're not in, in New York the City. The Jets are in New Jersey. So yeah, are the, the Jets. Giants. play in the Meadowlands. They're not, they're not actually in New York, which doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pivot off of baseball since uh, we got a little bit off track there, if you couldn't Whatever. tell. Uh, I kind of want to touch on the big news of the sporting world this week. Got, got a couple things I want to hit on. Um, number one, not really new this week, but it's something we should talk about. How does everyone here feel about the new Miami soccer team that David Beckham is funding? I really don't or care about it whatsoever. Okay, well, that's nice. Any, any other thoughts? I'm going to be following MLS now. Thanks. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I mean, I started getting a little bit into MLS, and I was kind of going to develop a liking for the LA Galaxy, but I might follow this team instead. Yeah, I think I'll definitely support Miami. Um, I, I think it's going to be good for the brand down there, and uh, it'll be nice for Miami to have a winning team once in a while, you know? I, in retrospect, thinking about it too, the uh, the new Miami team could potentially be the best team in Miami because the Dolphins are terrible. So, <laughs> oh come on, <laughs> and they, the Marlins are bad they're too. They're not terrible; they're injury prone. 
Shout no. out to Ryan Tannehill. No, they're no. shout out to no, beating the Patriots. No, 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 no. they're t- no, they're terrible. They're they're trash. This is a team. All right, I'm going to go on a little rant here for about like a couple minutes. So no, this is, is the, this is the Dolphin uh, fan uh, talking to. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, oh, and he on slamming on the table. So the. So the Miami Dolphins are a team that's stuck in perpetual mediocrity for the past 15, 19 years. I've lost track ever since Dan Marino retired. (laughs) And it's like, this is a team that is too good to get a bad draft pick, but too bad to make the playoffs. So that means uh, seasons going from 10 to 6, 6 and 10, sometimes 5 and 11, usually 8 and 8, 7, 9. 9-7, 9-7, like those kind of seasons. And it's like, oh, great, you're stuck at the 16th pick. Who are you going to give the 16th overall pick? Nobody. Well, you're, I, you're not going to get a generational talent like you're going to get at the top. I think they can get some good talent. I, I think this draft they got a really big snag with Minka Fitzpatrick, who was originally supposed to be in the top 10. From I understand that Shaw it sounds like, you, I understand that, it sounds like that. With them. I understand that you're saying that. But considering that he fell... I, in my opinion, yes, it sounds like that because I'm an Alabama fan. Undeservedly from a top 10 talent to falling to Miami, give him time to develop. He's already playing well as a starter for your team in development of injuries on your secondary Yeah, he was part. originally supposed to be uh, like he was originally like a nickel corner, and then they've been playing him out at free safety because TJ McDonald's been playing like absolute garbage. Yeah, when he like, was, this is what happened. Oh, here's like another thing with the team. They always put in players that do not fit the scheme when. When they drafted uh, the guy from when they drafted the defensive end from Missouri, I, I forget his name right now. It's just like he doesn't do anything. He he was a three four outside linebacker. They put him in as a four three defensive end, and they wonder why he's not playing good with Kiko Alonso. They had him playing at strong side linebacker, and he played terrible there. Why? Because he's a middle linebacker. Um, let's see what what's something else. Uh, like, oh, geez, not, like the safeties, TJ McDonald and Rashad Jones. These are both freelancing strong safeties. Freely, you know, there's a free safety and a strong safety. No, we have two strong safeties, and they <laughs> both freelance. They both just don't even follow plays, and they just do their own thing. And then when there's coverage busts, when they make a mistake from freelancing, then we just get blown out because we have no safeties because they just freelance and they act like linebackers. And I mean, when you look at Miami, the, the main thing I saw was the issue last year. I'm not a huge football guy, but I know Jay Ajayi is a pretty good running back. And I mean, getting rid of him. When he's healthy. I, I'm not saying Kenyon Drake Here's the, here's bad, the thing, here's the thing with the Jay Eagles. Ajayi. I actually don't mind the fact that the Dolphins got rid of him because everyone knew when he got drafted he would only have a lifespan of six to eight years. I mean, he, it's running backs anyways, though. Well, well not only... Well, Leave him not, not even that. But it's like he's, he, he was going to be expecting a really big money contract, but no one's going to give that to him, especially not now when he tore his ACL because he had all these screws put into his knees when he was playing at Boise State. So he already had an even shorter lifespan than expected for running backs. Now it's cut even shorter now from tearing his ACL. See, the biggest thing with running back situations that I, I see with Miami is yeah, if you look at their running backs that they've used predominantly throughout this year, and it's... Uh, Frank Gore and Kenyon Drake. And Frank Gore, I don't understand how this guy has played so long, so consistently at the NFL. This guy quietly puts up 1,000 yards every single season, ever since he was drafted in 05. Like, come on. But you're using him, and he's averaging 4.5 yards a carry, and Kenyon Drake's averaging 4.5 yards a carry. But they are completely different styled running backs. And I think that they're using Kenyon Drake in the right way, but he's getting so injured like, yes, there's a miss scheme that sometimes they're trying to run a speed back up the middle like Frank Gore should be playing instead, but they need to – I know it's something that you can't control, but stop getting their players injured because that's the biggest thing that they have to deal with. That was the downhill with their quarterback situation with Tannehill. That's what hurt Kenyon Drake on this season because he could have been putting up fantastic numbers, and he's stuck at 100 carries because he's been injured two, three times this year. Yeah, I remember a an NFL time evaluator. I forget who it was, but – you know, when you're always looking at intangibles with players, and it's like you're looking at skills and skill sets and all of that, one thing you got to look at is injury proneness. Because a lot of that could go into, like, dieting and just, like, how you train and how you practice. Now, obviously, it doesn't happen all the time, like, like say, like a tarot ACL. But it's, like, a lot of the time, like, just being able to be on the field sets you apart from other players. And... Miami has a lot of players that can't get on the field. Sure, they're super talented, but that doesn't matter if you can't play. 
Yeah, and that should have been the biggest red flag for Miami when they were drafting Kenyon Drake because he broke his leg twice in his career at Alabama, and he was only a starter for two years because Nick Saban didn't like his attitude. And I remember to this day how terrible that leg injury was against Ole Miss when he was running up the middle, and it it was graphic. Look it up if you want, but I don't recommend it. Um, But when you have a player that is talented like that, but is so prone to injuries, it you have to throw up red flags. And it did hurt his draft, but when you're trying to rely on someone like that, you need to know what they're expecting. I think um, getting a little bit away from the Miami talk, too, another big NFL thing that happened this week, if I'm sure everybody saw it, was uh, Mike McCarthy, the Packers head coach, was fired after quite a few years there. A lot of people cited him as the reason, not necessarily the whole reason per se, but a major reason why the Packers have failed to achieve success lately. I mean, look at a guy like Aaron Rodgers, who is arguably the league's best quarterback every single year, and he's got, what, one ring? I mean, Mike McCarthy being fired and being replaced by, I believe, Joe Philbin. It's a pretty... I mean, that's definitely something. (laughs) I'm feeling a little queasy. I think that he's going to end up head coaching, believe it or not, Tampa Bay. Oh, I think Tampa Bay is going to cut their losses with Cutter after this year with how the coach flat out said that he should have been fired after one of their losses this year. I forget which one because they all their losses have been so bad. Like look at all their offensive weapons that they have that on that team with Mike Evans, OJ Howard, Cameron Bray, Jameis Winston, Jameis Winston's Chris Godwin, turnovers you talking about that, that weapon? <laughs> he was the first quarterback in NFL history to throw back-to-back 4,000-yard seasons in his first and second And then year. you also have Ryan And then Fitzpatrick, he plays like this. But anyway, so. when, when, when the coach flat-out says that he should be fired for a game, I think they're finally going to do it. And I think that they're going to end up getting the coach. Uh, I, go on. I, I, was, no, go uh, I think a big thing um, with the Packers, too. Um, honestly, you're going to the Browns, Mike McCarthy. Hey, you know what? Good prediction, I guess. <laughs> no, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> Not with what the coach has been doing in, in there now. Mike McCarthy, to me, wasn't the main reason that they failed, per se. I think I think this finally got brought up, too. This year, I'll just say it, Aaron Rodgers was not the best version of himself. And I think a lot of times Packers fans as a whole, sorry, Packers fans, tend to deflect blame because they don't like to see their star take credit for a loss. This is a guy who's had multiple times he's thrown a Hail Mary that's gone for a touchdown. Uh, but, I mean, I think this year some of that falls on him. And I think it's just age catching up. I think it's the NFL learning Aaron Rodgers. And I'm not saying he's on a decline per se, but... The team is. I think so. The team is. And you see the injuries they've had. I mean, they cut their losses with Eddie Lacy a few years ago, which is supposed to be with their big running back. so. Oh, absolutely. I think they have a good receiving core, and defensively they're okay. I just think it's time to uh, maybe move on with the pack. Um, another big piece of news this year. Do you have something you want to say? You, you want to talk about teams and quarterbacks on the decline. I, I want to shift over to the Pittsburgh Steelers. I, I want to say... Of course you don't. I, I, you, yes, I, I, am, I am a Steelers fan, but yeah, I have some comments that have to be said. I believe Roethlisberger Let's should... keep them clean. I believe that Roethlisberger should retire after this season. Ben Keep that three years ago. Ben Keeps... He, he's turning into Brett Favre, except without retiring and coming back. He keeps saying, oh, I'm going to come back. Oh, I'm going to retire. Oh, I'm going to come back. I'm going to retire. I think he should actually finally stop and actually retire and give the reins to somebody else. Due to the fact that this team is, is, continues to go nowhere, we just ended up losing our running back due to the fact that we wouldn't give him the money that he wanted, and yet he wouldn't give the money. He wouldn't take the money that we were going to live, give him. That running back is Le'Veon Bell. James Conner is currently out for this. Was currently out for the second game in a row with an ankle injury. Thank God the Steelers ended up beating the Patriots, but yet on a, but yet by seven. Um, by letting our fumbling, bumbling kicker by the name of Chris Boswell redeem himself by making a field goal. But this team needs to send Roethlisberger on his way. It needs to continue to give James Conner the ball, but yet rotate him in, rotate in the rookie uh, the rookie that they have. But that team also needs to move some players around and rebuild a little bit. Mike Tomlin is not the issue whatsoever. I think um, I'm moving away from the NFL a little bit because we're going to wrap the show pretty shortly here. A couple more pieces of information. Uh, I mean, here we are, a sports podcast, obviously, but 
I mean, most of us here are hockey guys first. We're going to double back to the NHL for our last couple topics of the day. Uh, the biggest one that I was just reminded of by our great friend Parker Dorsier was the Seattle expansion team. There you go. And yeah, unlike yeah. other shows, we're not going to talk about potential names. I don't want to hear your crazy Atlanta ideas, Adam. <laughs> but I do want to just talk briefly with you guys. How do you feel about Seattle? And more important, and, and as well, let me know how you feel about Quebec City not getting a team. Uh, hashtag Seattle grunge. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, to get that in there. <laughs> Seattle Rainiers. Seattle grinders. Let's go Seattle totems. <laughs> All right. Oh my god! I, I mean, ultimately, what it comes down to is it, it's good for the for the game that we're expanding to the thirty two teams. The, the NHL and Gary Bettman have both said they're not expanding anymore after this for the foreseeable future. Um, but there are many owner situations, like the Ottawa Senators, who cannot get the stadium in LeBreton Flats really anymore, and the Arizona Coyotes, who for the second time in three years have lost an owner. They'll be transferring over, and ultimately, you maybe see a Quebec City team coming. I think that'd be great too. Nordiques. They'll need to settle some agreements with Colorado for the Nordiques copyright, but mm-hmm. it would be nice to see the Nordiques back. Why not bringing back Hartford? Why not move a team uh, back out there? Bring back the waivers. There are some locations that for some reason will not work for the NHL. Hartford, Atlanta Hartford, and Hartford. Hartford and Atlanta both failed. Well, Atlanta failed just like the team. The Thrashers just failed. The Thrashers failed recently Hartford as well. Hartford failed so. because the team sucked and it was not a media market at all. Uh, at least with Atlanta, you have somewhat of a media market there. And, and with well, with Seattle, you have a big media market because what you have there is you have you have the NFL, you have the MLS. You did have an NBA team until they ended up transferring to Oklahoma. But yet, I do like this. I do like this move here for the NHL to expand there because, as again, I just said, repeating yeah, yeah, myself. But you expand. don't have a media market because of the amount of sports teams you have there. You have a media market. It, it's based on, like, your population. Correct. And, I mean, comparably to Hartford, I just looked up. They just have a population of just over 120,000, which is not a, a tiny market per se, but it's also not a big market. And the NHL cannot afford another small market team. If you're going to relocate a team like the Canes or Arizona, why would you go to another small market? Like, Seattle, for an expansion team alone, that's a great market to break into. You've got the WHL there. I mean... And not, not only that, but I really think that this Seattle team could really uh, pull in some of the fans from the Vancouver media market just because they're like they're 150 miles away from each other. Like a lot of uh, Americans who live up in the Northwest, like up in Oregon and Washington State, a lot of the team, like the team that they follow is Vancouver. Or they could. I think that when they're if they get when they get the Seattle team, a lot of them are just going to move back over to Seattle and eat into uh, Vancouver's original market. I think with. This Seattle team, it's a recipe for success on paper. They have everything going for them market-wise. They have the other sports to draw in more fans. Um, They have a fantastic city where players will want to play in and where players want to live and have a family. And they have so much money around the area that they can get off of merchandise. They're already in a successful division, and if they can get a possibly really good expansion team like Vegas was able to pull out somehow like when i when they saw that expansion team everyone's like up oh, they're going to be bottom of the league and i'm like i could see them making playoffs but and i'm not saying seattle's going to do that with this expansion draft but they have the potential to be a really competitive team very soon because of how this expansion works and how much vegas was able to kill teams with stealing picks like making deals of picks for don't pick this player the panthers <laughs> the penguins I was convinced that they were going to do it with Colorado, but Colorado was like, no, you can have Calvin Pickard, and well, I'm okay with let's that. Let's see how smart the GM is. Uh, the the thing is, is that uh, I believe Adam just talked about this, but yeah, I, I was not paying attention. But yeah, Thanks. did you? But I'm sorry. Yeah, but did the, you? Yeah, that, did, yeah that's, uh, that's pretty a, usual. Okay. Anyway, before we, uh, that's what you were saying was that teams did learn from this past expansion. Is that what you were um, getting oh, yeah. on with that? Okay. Um, but anyway, Chris. Um, uh, the last story I want to get to today is uh, the big thing with Edmonton. We talked about coaches getting fired in other sports. A big one in Todd McClellan, who's universally considered to be one of the better coaches in the league. Whether your personal opinion on that or not, uh, Todd McClellan's got a pretty good uh, uh, accommodation list going, and he's been replaced by arguably a better one in Ken Hitchcock. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And uh, real quickly, before we, I, I get your thoughts, I just want to point out Edmonton, comparably to with Ken Hitchcock versus McClellan, they also, much like the Sabres, have a very high luck to PDO ratio, whatever you want to call it. So we'll see if that, if that bubble bursts at all. 
Yeah, well, if it's like Ken Hitchcock, I feel like he's always just retiring and I'm retiring. But this is a guy that's, what, second on the all-time wins yeah. list for coaches? or it's like uh, Games coach, too, pretty sure. He's really high up there, and he's always been successful wherever he's coached. I mean, even with Dallas, it's like they were a really good team when he was coaching. The only thing that killed them was, like, injuries. But anyways, with this, it's like I, I was looking at a lot of the, uh, like, personnel formations, like, between McClellan and... Uh, Ken Hitchcock, and it's like with Hitchcock, like the defensemen are still like staying by the blue line, like for instance, if they're like trying to defend. While with uh, McClellan, they were always like on the outside, like not really involved in the play at all. So it's like a lot of tiny adjustments that Hitchcock has made that has made Edmonton a heck of a lot better. Uh, I agree with you on that one. I think, though, that there's more adjustments that need to be made because he's been coaching for so long that, like, I could see it still when you watch an Edmonton game that they still look like an older style team when it comes to defense. It, they have that high flying offense, but they still have like a, a a defense that's stuck in the Stone Age in terms of hockey. It, but they are progressing so much better. Like it also helps when you have Connor McDavid who could easily put up a hundred points a season. But that's another story. Uh, yeah, I mean Edmonton. Like I don't know how you can not be a contender every year with Connor McDavid. He's been in the season no well, he's been in the league for three seasons. He's got three hundred points. I mean that's just that's incredible to me. I think this is his technically like his fourth year or whatever. He was hurt his first year like a little bit too. But I mean when you look at that team, I don't know how you don't compete every year. It's just crazy. It's kinda like if you uh you're looking over at the you're looking over at the uh, the Maple Leafs here. They were able to contend last year, but that was because Matthew was Matthews was healthy. But w- when you have a healthy Connor McDavid every single year, you should be able to uh, get, get into the playoffs every single uh, season, on, which you haven't been Leon able to Dreisaitl do. Some love <laughs> too. He's real good. Yeah, considering he's putting up the points that he is on the second line behind McDavid, and he's still at 42 points on the year. Dreisaitl is fantastic for a second line forward i'd take him on any team <laughs> so let me throw this what if out there for everyone if edmonton still had taylor hall just how scary would that offense be better um definitely i i'm gonna be the the odd party out here <laughs> i think that it would be borderline worse because just because of how Taylor Hall is as a player and how Connor McDavid is as a player and how Dre Zadel is as a player it'd be very similar to how what Colorado had with Matt Duchesne and Nathan McKinnon because they were fighting for the same exact role in the same exact offensive scheme. And look look at what happened with Colorado as soon as when they got rid of Matt Duchesne. Nathan McKinnon put up the highest amount of points that he has in his entire career. And if it wasn't for his two, three-week injury, he could have potentially passed Connor McDavid in point totals and possibly could have gotten the MVP that year if he wasn't hurt. I mean, let's not forget the uh, Oilers also traded the pick that would become Matt Barzell for Ryan Strom. So, and they also traded Jordan Eberle. And oh. Ryan Strom is now a bum. In, is now in uh, Rangers <laughs> or Chicago? Uh, the Rangers. Because the For Ryan Spooner. Yeah, and the <laughs> other ones in Chicago. So they traded and Barzell Matt is Barzell, currently in the Islanders. Jordan Eberle and Taylor Hall for Ryan Spooner and Adam Larson. Ryan. Oh. Good job. Yeah, yeah, and not even the good Larson too. Yeah, I mean he's all right. Um. <laughs> I, th- I think that'll just about wrap the show today. Uh, just a quick couple parting words. I want to thank everyone here for being part of the inaugural episode of the Daft Picks podcast. Parker, thanks for putting all this together. Uh, it's nice to record, not next to a refrigerator for once. Um, I also want to give a quick shout-out to some of our normal co-hosts as well that will be joining us later on in the year. Uh, special shout-out to uh, Chris, Zach, and Josh, who will also be joining us later. And, of course, all these guys will be back um, at some point or another as well. Uh, I want to thank everyone for listening to the Daft Picks podcast. Every week you can expect something new from us, uh, a new cast of characters, new sports to talk about, and whatever's going on in the sports world. From all of us here at Daft Picks, we want to wish you all a happy holiday season and a great new year. And this is Daft Picks podcast signing off.